Lord. Uh, my wife and I have been involved in several ministries here at Hope Chapel. Can you hear? How about now? Might be better if you can't hear me, actually. <laughs> I went to turn the mic on, and in fact, the battery had died, and that's why I was a few minutes late coming up here. Uh, my name is Tim Pitchford. Uh, my wife and I have been in attendance here at Hope Chapel for many years. We've been involved in many different ministries. I'm an elder here, and I also teach HCMI classes. Gospel of John, Book of Genesis. <clears throat> many of you have been in those classes. Last week, Zach asked if I'd be able to step in for him and continue where he left off. We've been working through the Sermon on the Mount. So I'd like you to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start by rehearsing the verses that Zach talked about last week. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, I actually am very guilty of these verses, and we'll get to that in a few moments. But we're going to continue with what we're going to study this morning, starting at verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember, your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. This also was an exercise for me this last week. Reconciliation, and we're going to get to that, does not just mean forgiveness, it means a complete exchange for something old, you replace it with something entirely new. Verse 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. These verses are actually references to Jesus' ministry of reconciliation. And in fact, we're going to see that what is actually being said here is you have a debt that is impossible for you to pay and that there's a double negative used in the original language, the Greek. In effect, it says you will never get out. No, not ever, not in any case ever eternally. So settle matters quickly means to seize the day, seize the moment. If reconciliation is to be given or to be had, forgiveness to be applied, it must be done swiftly because we have no guarantee of what's going to happen for the rest of the day or even tomorrow. We can also see in the Sermon on the Mount that God is increasingly expressing his concern over what is in your heart as opposed to what you do. What you think, what is in your heart can be more important than what you actually do. The challenge among us is that our thoughts are hidden from each other you don't know what I'm thinking. The way you know me is based on what I say and what I do. Right? We each present a framework to the world based on what we say and what we do, and that's how we define each other. And so often when there's a problem, one of the first things you hear people say is, oh, I didn't mean that. 
That is a clear indication that we recognize deep down inside that often our actions and our words do not match the truth that is in our hearts. A couple weeks ago, Mike talked about being all in. The concept here is that you are either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, but you're a slave nonetheless. The exercise is to comport yourselves increasingly within the truth that Christ has put in you. Do you think that God knows the truth about us? Do you think we know the truth about each other? I'm so thankful that his knowledge of me is not in any way contingent upon my confession. His knowledge of me is not contingent upon my self-descriptions. His knowledge of me is the truth about me. Right? So as we walk in our Christian life, the focus should be to become more and more like Christ so that he increases in our life so that I decrease and in such a way, the more, when you look at me, you see Christ more and more and hopefully see myself less and less. It's important to consider others better than yourselves. We're going to get to that momentarily. When our focus is on our identity in Christ first, our view of ourselves begins to change. A personal encounter with Jesus Christ will necessarily reorient your life. It is impossible to have a true encounter with Christ and then walk away unchanged. Right? Christ is the zero point in human history. Everything in the, in the Old Testament points to him, everything. Everything in the New Testament after his life, death, burial, resurrection, everything after emanates from him. He is the zero point in human history. He is where the eternal pierces through to the temporal. Jesus is the locus of all revelation. Consequently, we have an identity in Christ. We have a truth that God has defined and placed in us. And it's important if we have an offense with one another and there's forgiveness that's needed or reconciliation that's needed or forgiveness or reconciliation that's held back, we forget that they also, the offender, has an identity in Christ, a truth in God first as well. Now, as a simple example, imagine you're walking through a dark forest. It's pitch black. You can't see where you're going. You can't see the hand in front of your face. But I tell you, if you think, if you believe there's a cliff 10 feet in front of you, I guarantee you will change your direction. A personal encounter with Jesus Christ will necessarily reorient you. Do you think we tend to be self-absorbed, actually? Do you think it's our natural inclination to be more concerned about ourselves than about other people, right? It's our natural inclination. What you say is different than how you say it. What you do is different than how you do it. So I'm telling you, if you have a problem within the body of Christ with one of your brothers, one of your sisters, 
Look to yourself first. It's so interesting when I hear complaints, you know, through my ministries, and actually I myself have uh, struggled with one in particular. Um, it's never a one-for-one -one exchange. Someone says something or does something and it offends you. What that does is strikes a nerve that branches off like roots of granite deep down to your very core, right? It's never a one-for-one. -one. The idea here is that some of us have multiple things we're dealing with. It's very important to remember that. When I was growing up, I'm the youngest in my family. I had an older brother, older sister. Consequently, I was subjected to all manner of abuse. <laughs> and with my brother, after a while, I just was like, you this, and you said that, and et cetera, et cetera. And he finally got tired of that. So he said, you know, Tim, every time you point at me, you have three other fingers pointing back at yourself. So then I thought about that, and I realized, well, from now on, I'm going to start pointing like that. <laughs> but the, the lesson was not lost on me. What he was, in effect, saying that, exactly what I just said here. Someone offends me, and I respond to it in a negative way, or I struggle with forgiveness. It's really usually a reflection of the issues in my heart not the issues in the brother or sister who said or did something that I interpreted in a negative way. I forget they have an identity in Christ. I forget Christ died for their sins. I forget that where I want forgiveness, they also want forgiveness. I forget all of that, right? And in effect, I place myself above God. Like I'll pray for a brother and sister. Oh, yes, I know Christ has died for your sins and has forgiven you. But, hmm, I'm just not going to offer that. I'm placing myself above God's authority. Conversely, many of us walk around with boulders in our hearts for whatever reasons. We've had different life histories, different struggles. Um, some are more obvious than others. You know, family life, addiction, alcohol, if not any of that, business failures, marital failures, marital problems, offenses, and need, needs of all manner. And we walk around looking at ourselves through that prism. If Christ has forgiven you, if God has forgiven you, you must forgive yourself. That's the freedom that God offers. And by forgiving yourself, you're able to forgive others. Right? Let's look at Proverbs 4, 20, 22. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words. Do not let them out of your sight and keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's body. It's really interesting. This is a link that many of us overlook. God's word, yes, equals life. And we all understand that. We agree with that. God's word equals life. But where we fail, God's word equals life. It equals health to one's body, I submit, and we're going to see this momentarily, not just our own body, but the body of Christ. Applying God's word equals life to all of us, 
in unison, health to the entire body. Going back to Matthew 5.23, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled to them. And then come and offer your gift. 1 Samuel 15.22, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. And again in Psalm 51, verse 14. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. And here we go. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. What we see here is that by holding grudges, by not forgiving, by not reconciling, you are not bringing health to the body, and in fact, your very acts of worship, your very acts of praise are compromised. God wants our hearts. Give him your heart. Give each other your heart. Then we can come together, we can truly worship and praise God as we should. It is not possible to genuinely worship God while holding on to an offense. The truest sacrifice is the most genuine gifts. The deepest acts of love come from a humble and contrite heart. In effect, when you withhold forgiveness, withhold reconciliation, you're placing yourself not equal to God, above him. Interesting story about how it came that I am preaching here or teaching this lesson this morning. Last week, I was at the elder meeting, and uh, Zach, I shook his hand to congratulate him on the birth of his grandbaby. So I shake his hand, and you know Zach, some of you know this, he's got that escalator handshake, and I was being pulled in, and uh, so he called me and he said, look, I'm get, putting you on notice. I'm going to ask you to teach some weekend. And I said, fine. Is there a timeline? No, no timeline. Is it a topic you would give me or a topic I would just present? A topic you can present. Fine. So that very Saturday, last Saturday, I went home and wrote a sermon. <laughs> I did. I have always have things floating around in my head. Let me tell you, the theater of the mind, I drive a lot going to and from work, so I just, you know, work things out. And so the very next day, at 8 o'clock service, I was talking to him at the stairwell. Uh-oh, the escalator handshake again. So he draws me in and said, well, how about next week, and how about on the verses that I just, that continue the verses I just stopped? And I was like, uh-oh. I am so busted. Uh -huh. 
The reason I was busted is I had a very big reconciliation issue. And I knew God, right, was orchestrating this whole thing. And I've learned over the years, I don't always do this, but I try to do this. I believe it's better to listen to God's subtle, tiniest whisper and respond rather than wait for it to escalate and wait for God to actually shout at you, discipline you more than you'd be willing. Train yourself in prayer to listen. Just listen. If he even whispers, respond. So inside I churned. I'm like, oh no, now I have to make a phone call. Um, anyway, the next day I issued, I sent out an email to the, I had never had a problem with a brother or sister in church ever, ever. Don't raise any hand, Jim, don't raise your hand. <laughs> and um, in the, except in this one case. And this had been going on about a year and a half. And um, so I made the phone call. He accepted my invitation, came over to my house uh, with no guile, with an open heart. Um, and I said, look, we don't need to rehash anything. However, what I'm proposing, I want to run this by you. And I explained how I was teaching this lesson. And I said, what I propose is that we do in exchange. We exchange something old for something entirely new. So that actually goes beyond forgiveness. That's reconciliation. Reconciliation means to exchange. And we're going to see that in a minute. And we talked about it. And I said, it's not like we're going to take our previous relationship, scrub it down clean, polish it up, put some new clothes on it, add extra forgiveness, a little extra patience, we're good to go. And we all experience that many, oftentimes that doesn't work. A month later, two months later, a year later, oh no, they said the same thing again, I'm done. We struggle. Forgiveness should never be a struggle. Forgiveness should be permanent. So we talked about exchanging the one thing for a new thing. And his question was, very uh, insightful and said, well, okay, fine, that's great. What is that going to look like? I'm going to tell you what it's going to look like. I'm going to love you the way I was always meant to love you. I'm going to love you the way I want to love you, the way God wants me to love you. That's it. And also a note on reconciliation, too, I'd like to point out. His example was actually really beautiful in that I realized something else. When you go to a brother and sister and offer or try to reconcile, and you're on the receiving end, accept it. Right? Yeah, but no. Someone asks you for forgiveness, give it. If someone wants to reconcile with you, do it and be done. Exchange something old for something new. I've had to eat humble pie periodically throughout my life. I'm sure we all have. It's not something that tastes very good. I've learned that it's better to live your life in such a way that you never have to eat it. My wife actually is an excellent example of that. I've learned a lot from her. Through work and other situations, things can get very trying politically and what have you. 
Uh, there was a period in our lives uh, at one of her previous jobs that was highly politicized. It was a struggle on a daily basis. But she maintained her commitment to God and thought of everyone in terms of how God thought of them. She thought of God first on how to serve them, right? Really excellent example. And consequently, God extricated her out of that situation in ways that we couldn't expect. It was a very good lesson. When you interrelate with other people, think of God first. Think of what God has done for them. Think of how God loves them. Then you love them in action. So in my prayers, to keep myself more honest, if I have an offense or a problem in my heart, I make my prayers for myself, as we all do. And then I pray for that other person, as we probably all do. But to keep it honest, I add... Lord, I pray for that person as I would pray for myself. In other words, that's my way of being intellectually honest and spiritually honest with God, such that everything I want for myself, I pray for my brother or sister to have the same, so that there's no distinction in my heart between me and them. I'd like to take a few moments and run over to Romans chapter 12. Interesting note on Romans chapter 12. Years ago when I was taking HCMI, the end of each class you had an option of writing a one, two, three page reflection paper or memorizing a chapter. And for whatever reason I was inspired at the end of the Romans class to memorize a chapter, and God led me to Romans chapter 12. What a huge blessing that's been. I've gone back to Romans chapter 12 over and over and over and over again in all the ministries I've been involved in, in my personal life. It's shaped how I look at each and every one of you. It shapes how I look at myself. It's a huge blessing. And here I find myself again back to Romans 12. We're going to look at verse 3, chapter 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. This is a really interesting passage. Sober judgment means accurate judgment. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. So if there's an offense... In the body, you have an offense with someone. Aren't we, in effect, thinking ourselves a little more highly than that person? In effect, you are sitting in judgment of that person in a small way. However, I propose that it also means don't think of yourself any less than you ought. And what does that mean? Sober judgment is accurate judgment. Romans 12 goes on to talk about the gifting of God and how we are all a body, the body of Christ. Each of us has a different gifting and at different levels. God loves diversity. We should grow in our faith and grow in our walk that we get to know Christ more and more such that our giftings are more and increasingly refined and employed with confidence, not in weakness, but in confidence, 
to serve the body and to serve God's kingdom. Think of yourself with sober judgment. This is really interesting. I've learned also in my prayer life to try and exercise that. I don't want to waste my time praying for things or something that is not mine to have. On the flip side, I want to receive everything that God has for me. Right? You want everything God has for you. You don't want to waste your time praying for things that God, oh, I can't believe Tim's doing this again. That's just not for him. He's not going to get it. The answer is going to be no. Oh, how I wish he knew my heart more. That's a way to have a very effective prayer life. As we grow closer to Christ, we become more like him, and our desires start to change. If you look at your life through a prism of problems you have, boulders in your heart, by focusing on your identity in Christ first, your taste changes, your desires change, you change, such that what you saw as a big, huge problem now becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, right? Jesus says in Mark, if you have the faith the size of a grain of mustard, you could say to this mountain, cast yourself into the sea and it would be cast. He goes on to say, nothing is impossible. So, what's the deal? When have we last seen a mountain being cast into the sea? Never. What does that mean? Does that mean there is nobody on the face of the planet that has true faith? The faith the size of a mustard seed? No, it doesn't mean that at all. What it means is a truly faithful man and or woman of God would never ask for that in the first place. Why? It's not God's will. But I guarantee if it were God's will, there would be a man or woman or a group of us appointed in the spirit to make that prayer and the Santa Monica Mountains would be in the sea. Do you see where I'm going here? As you grow closer into, to Christ, your prayers, your desires begin to change. You would not pray for that mountain to cast itself into the sea. It's not God's will for that to be prayed. So this is a, an illustration I'm going to borrow from a little loosely. This is not a scholarly application by any means, but I'm going to draw from the illustration. Could it be that the mountains are actually in our hearts? Rather than ask God to navigate around, above, or through a mountain in your heart, a boulder, rather than ask him to help you navigate a bad heart, ask him to exchange it for a new one. Right? Back to Romans 12, Romans 9. Love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. It goes on with a few verses about how we should exercise that within the body. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Love must be sincere. Is it possible to love somebody insincerely? Is that possible? Years ago, my wife and I were sitting in the section back over there years ago, and uh, there was an older woman sitting next to me. Never seen her before, and I've never seen her since. Service is just about to finish up, and my mind instantly goes to that buffet down at El Torito. <laughs> right? It's a great buffet. She leans over to me, this woman, and says, Oh, would you please give me a ride home? Sure. I loved her very much at that moment. Yes, no problem. We get in the car. I figure I'll get my enchiladas, you know, 10 minute delay, I'll still get them. Down the street, turn left, turn right, you turn over a mountain through a river, around the corner, back out in Orange County and back to here, and then finally we're at her apartment. Great. She gets to the door, she digs in her purse. I lost my keys. Okay, I started to love her a little less. <laughs> and I'm not going to leave an older woman there stranded with no keys, no cell phone. She didn't have the manager's number, nothing. What am I going to do, call locksmith? Or she's going to spend the day with me and then maybe find a friend or family who has keys. I didn't know what we were going to do. Then she says, oh, I think I know where my keys are. Back at church. <laughs> All right, we pile in. Down the street, left turn, right turn, U turn, mountain. This time we went through Canada, Wyoming, Colorado, finally got back to church. Sure enough, the keys were under her seat. Oh, praise God. Fine, we scooped up the keys. This time, down the street, red lights. We went through China, Asia, Antarctica. Finally, finally got to her, point, her apartment. I was able to drop her off. My point here is that sometimes God asks you to help someone, asks you to bless someone, asks you to act in love towards someone, and you think, you think, you're doing something for them. But God is actually doing something for you. And that was a lesson I learned years ago. When you act in love and you act sincerely, be prepared because oftentimes God is teaching you something, right? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Oh, I'm going to offer this blessing to this person. No, God's going to offer a blessing to you through that person. Think of yourself with sober judgment. So what's interesting here, love must be sincere. If you consider love, love is very active. Love is very proactive. Love seeks the good for somebody else. Grace. Grace is calm. Grace is tranquility. Grace permeates your pores, touches the very essence of your being. So if what you do is love, how you do it 
is grace. If what you say is love, how you say it is grace. Right? It makes sense. We're going to take a few moments and uh, go to James chapter 2, 12 and 13. It's going to be up on the screen. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. I love this verse, mercy triumphs over judgment. I want mercy, right? I know each and every one of us does as well. Give it. If a brother and sister has something against you, ask for forgiveness. If someone asks you for forgiveness and reconciliation, give it. We're going to take just a few minutes and do a very quick word study on the original verses. Therefore, if you are offering your gift to the altar and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Really, really interesting, the word reconciled here. The original Greek is the word dialasso. Dia denotes transition. Alasso denotes change. Reconciliation is change in transition. But this is where it gets really interesting. Alasso is a derivative, yet another word, which means to make otherwise, to make other than it is, to cause one thing to cease and a new thing to take its place, to exchange one thing for another. The very verse here means to exchange something, to make something new, make something different than what it was. Reconciliation is newness. Where have we seen that before, actually? Jesus' ministry of reconciliation. He substituted himself on the cross for me. I didn't experience a little bit of that. He took on it all. It was a substitution. It was a complete and utter exchange. When you withhold from a brother or sister reconciliation, forgiveness, you are denying Christ at the very core. At the very core, you are denying Christ. We'll look at six verses really quickly. Acts 6.14. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this place and against the law. So here we go. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. The word here, change the customs. Actually, in the original Greek, is the same word as reconcile. They are accusing Jesus of planning to completely destroy the customs and history and replace it with something entirely new. That was the fear. Romans 1.23, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools 
and this is more obvious, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. This is very clear. They're exchanging the glory of God for something entirely different. To be reconciled is not a gradient. It's something entirely new. First in, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, and here are some hints here, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Obviously, what's being said here is that the perishable, us, the imperishable God, essentially we're of different substance. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Again, that word, dialasso. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. We will be reconciled. Galatians 4.20. This is, the nuance here is a little different, but it's still essentially the same application. My dear children, for whom I am, I am again in the pains of childbirth, this is Paul writing, until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed by you. Change his tone. From one of recrimination, you, you are still behaving as babies in Christ. He wants to change that, exchange that tone for praise. How you've grown and how you've been transformed in Christ. And finally, Hebrews 1.12. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. And here we go. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed. The very foundations of the earth and heaven will be changed, will be exchanged. The new will be substituted for the old. This particular word has been used only six times in the New Testament. And the verses we were studying today, to be reconciled means to be changed, to replace something for something else. It's clear now where we've seen this ministry of reconciliation before. It's in the life of Christ and how he has substituted himself for us. We're going to go to Matthew 5, 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. I already hinted that this is referencing, essentially, our salvation. The wages of sin are death. It's impossible for you or me to pay those wages. And escape. 
What's interesting here is there's a use of the double negative in the original Greek. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. And essentially the double negative means you will not get out, no, not ever, not in any case, eternally you will not get out. Right? Act swiftly. So for any of you in the audience today that are not Christian and are struggling with it, I'm going to advise you to consider the weight of your days. See what meaning you can extract from them. And then get on your knees and ask God to give you the gift of faith. Finally, in closing, I just want to go back to Proverbs 4.22. 20 to 22. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's body. Health to one's body means many, many things. It means health to us individually. But also it means health to the fellowship, the body at large, which we are clearly all a part of. If you have an issue with a brother or a sister or you're struggling with forgiveness and many of us even struggle with forgiveness of ourselves. Some people actually feel that their sin or their life stories are so horrible that yes, I know Jesus forgives me but to prove how remorseful I am I'm just not going to forgive myself. That will clearly show God how remorseful I am. No. What that clearly shows God is you have not accepted his forgiveness and you're thinking of yourself too highly and you're placing yourself above God. So in closing, last week actually I stopped by Pastor Zach's office and um, we spent about 10 or 15 minutes just reviewing the message. Um, and it's changed since then, uh, obviously. Um, he's very wise, as you all know. And he made a comment to me, which I'm going to share with you. And he, in, a, in essence, said, Tim, don't burden the congregation with the message. And I took that to mean, don't put this on your list of things to do right? Not a burden at all. But then he said this. Ask God to put the want to in you. Ask God to put the want to in you. Father, in Jesus' name, we praise you. We thank you for this time we've had to study your word. We ask you to bless our fellowship. Bless us with reconciliation, forgiveness. Let our worship not be compromised by a hardened heart. We praise you this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.